turn this on. This morning, we are going to talk about rest. We're not going to talk about it fully from the idea of physical rest. We're going to talk about it from the idea of spiritual rest, because here's the reality. Each and every single one of us, when we're born, we strive to find the meaning of life. We strive to find purpose. We strive to find answers. And I got to tell you, that can be draining. That can be, that can cause us to be weary because oftentimes we tend to find our answers in the wrong places. And we find it in the wrong places that typically causes us to be more tired. Like if I'm exhausted and I'm tired, I'm not going to go out and run a marathon. Because running a marathon, right, is going to make me more exhausted. Right? Or I'm not, if I'm tired, I'm not going to go mow my lawn. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to take a nap, which I struggle with, by the way. I'm a horrible nap taker. But the reality is this, is that when we try to find the meaning of life and we try to find answers and we try to solve the longing in our heart for something, we tend to always fill it with things that aren't going to bring us wholeness. They're not going to bring us rest. They're going to, they're going to keep wearying our soul. And that's just going to keep going. And so this morning, we're going to look at a passage in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4, and we're going to talk about what it means to find ultimate rest in Christ. Because we believe that ultimate rest is only found in Christ. The answers to the world, the answers to life, the answers to, to everything we long for is in Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles or you have that book that we, we've been handing out, we're going to start at Hebrews 3, verses, starting in verse 1. 
And it just says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is the faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your father has put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they are always, they are always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For he who had believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. So therefore it remains for some to enter, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked with exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Lord, this morning, as we have just read your word, Jesus, your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, your word that can bring transformation to our minds and our hearts, Jesus, I pray, Father, that you would speak. I pray that your spirit would come and just speak into our ears what you desire for us to hear this morning, Jesus. So Lord, we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So 
From Hebrews 1, we talked about the fact that God is greater than angels. Jesus is more magnificent than angels. And we talked about in Hebrews 2 that he's greater than angels because he became human. And we know that the gospel is secure because Christ became human. And it's in his humanity that he secured life for all of us, that he tasted death. And this morning, he continues in that great scheme. The, the author continues in that Jesus is greater than mentality. And this time, he brings up Moses. What is Moses known for? What are some of the things that we read in Scripture that Moses is good for? The burning, the burning bush. Bringing the people out of Egypt. What else? The Ten Commandments. What else? What do you know about Moses? He was shy, right? <laughs> yep. He was shy. But we know that he was still God's spokesman, right? Moses was, you know, if you think of Judaism and you think of all things for, for, for the Jewish culture, Moses is the epitome of someone you think of. Moses is, is known and credited for writing the first five books of the Old Testament that we have called the Pentateuch. Moses is known for being the one who directly spoke to God himself. Moses is known as the one who God actually allowed him to fit into a crevice in the rock and God himself passed by. Moses is the one that God directly wrote the Ten Commandments and said, here, bring this to my people. Moses parted the Red Sea. Moses did some amazing things. You know, the name Moses is listed over 800 times in Scripture next to David and Jesus. He is the third most person in the Bible talked about. Moses is great. He is amazing. I mean, he, he also showed up at the transfiguration of Jesus and spoke to Jesus himself, right? Like we have all these things, and the writer is not denying the fact that, that Moses was great, but the, the people, the Jewish people during this time, these Jewish Christians, they were, they were still caught, right? This is all about persecution and pressure, and, and they were confused. They looked at their Jewish friends and, and, and what they're doing, and they looked at the pagans and how they're living and how they're not really experiencing a whole lot of trouble, but yet these Jewish Christians are facing trouble, they're facing persecution, and they're questioning, what do we do? Do we go back to following the ways of Moses? Do we go back to following Judaism? Or do we just fall away and follow what the pagans and the Gentiles are doing? We have no idea. And so the writer is saying, no, like, let me tell you a little bit more about Jesus, right? We know that Jesus is greater than Moses, right? It's here. It's talked about, right? We, we know that and that Moses was a, a great servant. It says that Moses was a great servant, but it said that, that Jesus Christ was more, right? We, we know that, that the, the life of Moses, right, his life was not to point to his superiority. It wasn't to point to himself, but it was to point it to the ultimate supremacy of Christ. Everything that Moses did, and he's trying to help the people to remember that, that Moses was just a servant that God used 
for his glory, for his purpose, for his kingdom. Moses wasn't fully head of anything. Moses was just a servant, a, a pillar, a vessel that God used. You know, in, in Sunday school today, we talked about uh, the beauty that God uses um, unimportant people to further his kingdom. Right? Moses was a stutterer. Moses didn't know what to do. Uh, what else do we know about Moses? Right? We know that he was a murderer. Right? We know that he doubted, that he got angry. Moses was a normal human being like us. Right? He did things. He made mistakes. But yet God still says that he was faithful in what I've given him. And so Moses was great, but Jesus is greater. Why? Well, Romans 3, 21 through 22 says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness, right? Moses bore witness to Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The law, the prophets, Moses himself bore witness to Jesus Christ himself. And the writer was helping Moses to remember this, or helping the Jewish Christians to understand that while Mo Moses was great and he was amazing and he, he directly spoke to God and God did some pretty awesome things, he also reminded him that, that Moses wasn't perfect, that Moses wasn't Jesus, Right? We know that Moses was a servant, but Christ is the son. When you think of kingdoms and you think of kinship, who usually gets the heir? It's the son, right? It's family. And so Jesus Christ is the son, and he's reminding of that. And then he goes on, right? He goes on to, to, to encourage them, to talk to them, to help them to see the truth and the reality of who they are. Jesus Christ, right? he challenges them in, in, in the first part of this chapter to, to consider Jesus, to focus on Jesus. Why? To meditate on Jesus, right? To, to, you can look at Moses, but focus on Jesus. And he goes on to remind them a little bit about the Israelites, to remind them a little bit about um, who Christ was. Moses was a servant, right? We know that Christ is God's son, and as God's son, he is head over everything. Colossians 1.18 says he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So then everything he might have supremacy. Right? The writer is saying that Moses is a servant. He was great in God's house, but, but Christ is the head of God's house. He is over God's house. He is over the people of God. And he says this. He says that you, right? He says that you are God's house. He's reminding them as believers, right? When we claim to be believers and we claim to follow Jesus and we persistently follow him, the Bible says that we are God's house, that we are the church, that we are the body of Christ, right? And so we are the house of God. He says that if we remain obedient and hold fast to the gospel message, right? He's reminding them that Jesus is the head. And as the head, he's head over you who are the house. You are the church, Right? True believers are those who persevere to the end. He's telling them as, he's being, as they are being persecuted, don't give up. Keep pressing forward. I don't know about you, but this is so timely to everything that we're going through now. Right? We can see all across the world that, that the pressure on Christians is increasing, that things are happening, that, that people aren't a big fan of Christianity like they used to be. And we're seeing as people are constantly just falling away from God. I don't know about you, but if you grew up uh, reading a book called Kiss, I, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, 
or if you've heard of that book, Joshua Harris wrote it. And Joshua Harris claims to be a believer, but recently he fell away, and he doesn't believe anymore. And we see all these musical Christian artists that are falling away, and Scripture says, you are my house if you remain steadfast. If you persevere to the end, you will be my people. Right? There, there, there's two types of churches. There, there's the ultimate big church, which is filled with those who are believers, who are followers of Jesus. And then we have local churches, right, who, who have a mixture of believers. They have a mixture of, of the lost. They have a mixture of those who think they're saved but aren't really. If all these things that are going on, but the true church are those who hold fast to the gospel message and remain steadfast till the end. And so he's challenging them to remain steadfast. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Right? God brought the Israelites out of Egypt to test them. <laughs> he brought them into the wilderness to test their faithfulness, to test whether or not that they are going to remain faithful. And what did we see? We saw so many times where they chose to replace God with idols, whether it's a calf or whether it's these, all these other things, and they chose to worship him. And any time that God said, hey, don't do this, they did it. They, 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 they were the very, um, I love God, I don't. I love God, I don't, right? They, they kept kind of coming to God when the bad things were happening, but when everything was good, they fell away from God. And they kept doing it to the point that God's anger was like, I'm done. Right? And because of this, the Israelites were not able, the first generation Jewish Israelites were not able to enter the land of Canaan, the promised land, the, the land of rest, because they chose to fall away. They weren't faithful to God's test. And James is saying those that persevere under trial, right, having stood the test, here's the thing. God allows us to go through things to test our faithfulness to test who we are. We have a choice. We're either going to disown God or we're going to dive deeper into God and say, all right, Lord, I trust you. I know these things are up. And so James, the writer, you know, James is saying, like, those who persevere, who stood the test, will have the crown of life. But how many times in Scripture do we, do we, do we see this, this idea of persevering, this idea of not falling away? And, and we know in Scripture, right, there's going to come a time where grass, mass people are going to fall away from the, Jesus Christ. And those that remain are the true church. And so Moses is challenging, or the, letter, the writer to Hebrews is challenging them to don't give up. Because here's the reality, right? Failure to listen and persevere leads to unrest. Failure to listen and persevere leads to unrest. God gave commands to the Israelites. He spoke to them. He used Moses to, to lead them out of Egypt for constantly for 40 years. He showed up in amazing ways. But yet they didn't listen and they didn't persevere. And as a result, they were not allowed to enter the promised land. Right? The beginning of 3.7, it says, As the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't fall into disobedience. When the Holy Spirit speaks... Right? Here's the beautiful thing, right? It says when the Holy Spirit says, right? It doesn't say the Holy Spirit said. It's not past tense. It's present. When the Holy Spirit says, when the Holy Spirit speaks, because he is still speaking, don't harden your hands. Don't fall away. 
2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origins in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The inspired word of God, the word of God that we read on a daily basis, is God's voice speaking to us. It's literally God speaking, God inspiring the writers, the human, the human authors, to write exactly what he desires for us to know. And so while it used to be more so that, that, that God spoke audibly, you know, he spoke to Moses, he spoke to Abraham. We know then in scripture that there was only three times that Jesus heard the audible voice of God. So God's audible voice isn't something that happens a lot. But what happens all the time when we open it up is that God speaks through his word. His word is living. It's active. It's not dead. It's not dumb. It is God speaking. So the spirit is who speaks. Albert Muller said, when we hear scripture, read scripture, study scripture, or encounter scripture in any way, we can be confident that God is speaking to us. If we want to hear God, we don't just, we don't just go, go to somebody else and say, hey, what is God saying? While God speaks through people, his ultimate way of speaking to us is through the word of God. And so if we want to hear God, we have to spend time in his word. We have to listen to what he says. And so that when you hear the voice of God and you read scripture, do not harden your hearts, but receive what it says. Because Christ is speaking. Right? We read this earlier, right? The call to worship. This is all from, from Psalms 95. Right? Rejoice, celebrate. But when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as the Israelites did. Because they fell away from God. And the result of them falling away from God, they did not receive rest. These relates harden their hearts. The today, right? The today is the sense of all urgency, that every day is a today. So today, when you hear his voice, listen to him. When you wake up tomorrow, it is today, so listen to him. There is an urgency message here. It's today is the day of decision. Every day we wake up, we have two things that we, we, that we face, two decisions. Are we going to remain faithful to God? Are we going to fall away? Are we going to remain faithful to God? Are we going to fall away? Because it's not enough to just say you follow Jesus and make that decision and not pursue him. Christ wants his believers to pursue him. He wants his believers to remain fast, to remain steadfast, to remain firm. God is speaking. And this is a strong warning to remember, right? He says, today hear your voice. But he says, be careful for those that are believing. Why? Because there's a danger that we can all fall away. None of us are out of the dangers of falling away if we keep our eyes off of Jesus and we remove that. We have to pay attention to our own hearts. It says, pay attention to your hearts. Examine daily what it is, right? Is your heart hardening? And if so, say, Lord, soften it again. If you realize that you are beginning to fall away from God, cry out and say, Lord, help me with this. Help me to find you, to discover you, to have a different appreciation for you. But I love this next point. He goes on, and after saying, don't harden your hearts, he says, as it is today, together as a community, encourage, spur each other on. Challenge each other because the need for spiritual community is great because we need the daily intervention of the body of Christ. This is the beautiful thing, right? He doesn't say live on your own, right? He doesn't say examine your heart and, and just keep doing that. He says examine your heart, but as a whole body, challenge each other. There is a need for community in this. 
When you see your brother or sister falling away or, or hardening their hearts or being challenged or not really listening to Scripture, it is our calling as believers to, to challenge them, to encourage them, to reach out to them. Because none of us are out of need for that. We need the spiritual community. We need the body of Christ. Because sin, when we begin to harden our hearts and we begin to focus on sin, sin is self-focusing. It makes us think that we're okay, that we're not bad as someone else. I mean, how many times have we looked at somebody and said, well, I'm not really as bad as them? The reality is, is that all of us are responsible, right? We're all going to be judged for our own actions, our own decisions. But as the body of Christ, we can encourage each other to keep focused, to keep pressing forward. Now, this is going to require humility, because the willingness to receive criticism or challenge from someone is hard. So it requires humility. It requires us to, 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 ha- to be receptive to what others may be speaking into our life, or more importantly, what Scripture says. This is going to require us to not get offended. i got to be honest, we are in a very world that gets offensive, you know, offended really fast. But even for us, when someone, a believer calls us out because we're living in sin or, or we're hardening our hearts, we can't be offended by that because what they're trying to do is not to judge or push you down, but to spur you on to Jesus Christ. When the encouragement and the challenge is to point you to Jesus, that is good feedback, that is good criticism, that is good challenge. That's why we have community groups, why we have small groups, because we think these are important, which is why we even have Sunday morning worship and all these things. Why? Because we need each other. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Do not forsake this. This is so important. We are to teach and admonish each other. We're to challenge each other. We're to point each other to Jesus. Isolation is the antithesis of community. When you're beginning to fall away or you're beginning to to face trials and you're struggling and, and you have no idea what to happen, the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself because it's in isolation that the devil and sin gets to speak louder and louder. And it's in the moment that that when we're questioning whether we believe or not, it is so important that we find community that we can have people answer these questions and we can wrestle with it and we can encourage each other. We need to immerse ourselves in the community of believers to keep ourselves from hardening our hearts and overcome by evil. Hardened hearts do not realize your need for repentance and a savior. They don't need, when, when your hearts are hardened, you don't, you don't know what, what is happening or any of those things. And so I want to encourage you, if this is where you're at, begin to examine, begin to ask God, Lord, I sense this. God, help me to soften my hearts again. Lord, soften it. And we got to remember, right, up to this point, he's not saying, you know, when he's talking about as the Spirit speaks, there, there's two things, right? He's actively speaking, but he's also helping you to do that work. Because we have a spirit that doesn't sit by and watch you fret and watch you run around with your heads cut off. He is involved in your life. He's there to encourage you, to empower you, to give you the strength necessary to persevere. We have to know that when we persevere, it's not on our own strength, but it's on the strength of Jesus. And so when spirit speaks, we have to listen. I was in Ireland um, my wife and I, when we were dating, at the beginning of our, our dating, we took a trip to, with the youth ministry department to Ireland. 
And in Ireland, we had uh, the director there, the speaker. And one thing that stuck with me, um, when we talk about or we think about influence, right? We think about what someone says and what stuck. This is what stuck to me. This man, when talking about scripture, said this, it is not red and black words on white paper. It is the living Jesus. When we read and open the Bible, we're not just reading words on a white page. We're not reading red words that stand for the, the, the word of you know, Christ when God is speaking. It is the living Jesus. To encounter Jesus, we must open our word to the living Jesus. To encounter Christ, we must be willing to read and open it up. We cannot disregard the Bible, right? When, when the Spirit speaks, that's the way he speaks. Because all we think of is we just need Jesus. Scripture literally is the spoken word of Christ. When we immerse ourselves in Scripture, that is when we find Jesus. But many look to idols of life to satisfy their weary souls. I mean, the Israelites, they were walking. For 40 days, they were wandering, and they were trying to find something that would solve their, their, their pride and their issues. They are tired and trying to find rest. But what they find are things that have led to their weary soul. I mean, how many people do we know who are longing for something and yet find it in things that just tear them down further? When we think about those that do drugs or drink too much alcohol or find themselves looking at things on the internet that they shouldn't be looking at, all these things, they're trying to find something that satisfies their soul. And the reality of what they're doing is finding things that are killing their soul. They're killing them because they're in things that aren't going to bring satisfaction in our life. Right? We know that the devil came to destroy. Right? We know that the enemy of God came to destroy, and so he's going to do everything possible to destroy us. But Christ came to give life and life abundantly. Scripture is our GPS. We want to know Jesus? Look to the word. He's going to point you in the direction. The word is going to point you to Jesus. It's going to allow you to follow that. Paul Tripp said the situations, locations, and relationships of daily life are wonderful to enjoy, but we must understand that they will never, ever satisfy our hearts. For that, we have been given a true Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So instead of wasting time on the endless quest for life, you have been invited to enter God's rest for the rest of your life. Rest in your identity as his children. Rest in his eternal love. Rest in his power. Rest in his constant presence and faithful provision. Rest in his patience and forgiveness. This rest, the Hebrew writer says, it is still open. It is still there. God's rest wasn't negated because the Israelites failed to enter physical rest into the land of Canaan. God says his rest is still available because we know that if Moses pointed to Jesus, we know that the land of Canaan was a direct picture of our ultimate rest that we have in Jesus. Right? The story connects. Our rest is in Jesus. We want to find rest, then we must look to the living word. We must find Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, but my burden is light. Our ultimate rest is in the person of Christ. That's the significance of Hebrew 2 in the person of Jesus, in the Son of God, that is when we will find ultimate rest. We will find rest when we discover Jesus and his power of redemption. Some of you may be here and you've never, ever surrendered your life to Jesus. And you're on this endless pursuit. I want to challenge you to try Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Come to accept it. Because first and foremost, we know that rest is found in Jesus. And rest is only available to those that find discover Jesus and his power of redemption. 
So find Jesus, right? He's saying, look to Jesus, consider Jesus, because that is our ultimate rest. We enter that rest when we learn to persistently find our identity in Christ. The Jewish Christians were having an identity crisis. They were having a moment of confusion, a moment of figuring out who are we? What is our purpose? What are we meant for? And so the Hebrew writer was challenging them, keep finding your way in Jesus. Find your identity in Christ because it's, we enter that rest when we're going to persistently find our identity in Christ. Most of the things that we deal with on a daily basis, most of the struggles, most of the confusion, most of all the things that are happening ultimately come down to where do you find your identity in? Do you find it in what people say about you? Do you find it in the world? Do you find it in sports? Do you find it in your job? Do you find it in your family? All these things are, are, are not necessarily bad, right? Your family isn't bad. Your work isn't bad. Your schooling isn't bad. But all these things, if we aim to find our identity there, they're going to lead us down a path of, of, of tiredness and unrest. Because ultimately, it's when we find our identity in Christ. Because it's when we find that identity, we find hope. And we find promise. And we find purpose. But that is only in Christ. And so the promise of rest here in Hebrews is not only fixing our eyes on Jesus, but it's continually finding our identity in Christ because when we discover Christ, we find out who we are. If you want to know who you are, look to Jesus. He created you in his image. He knows exactly who you are. And we enter eternal rest when we faithfully persevere till the end. There's this... This, this balance going on of present rest as well as a future rest. We long for the day that, that Christ just comes and takes us. Maybe you're just dealing with so much pain or you're looking at the word and you're like, come, Jesus, come. And we know that one day Christ is going to come and he's going to return and he's going to bring his faithful followers with him. And we are going to live eternally with God, those who claim, who, who persevere till the end to follow Jesus. But if you came to follow Jesus and then you decide to give up on Christ because life is hard, were you truly a believer? Those who faithfully persevere till the end are true believers. These Jewish Christians, they were struggling. They were fighting. They were trying to figure out all the things that they can figure out for themselves. But he says, keep focus on Jesus. Press through, persevere till the end. Because it's when you persevere, right? This life is temporary. What we go through is temporary. On a glimpse of eternity, this is our lives. And this stage keeps going on. We spend so much time focusing on this, putting our hope in this. And we lose focus of this. As believers, we're called to have an eternal perspective while living currently in this world. So we can look at the future and know that when we claim to believe in Jesus, we will have hope, we will have peace, we will have, there will be no more pain, no more sorrow. Why? Because we know that one day we will enter eternal rest. But right now, the scripture also promises that we can have rest now. Because it's when we find Christ that we find hope and we find encouragement and we and our souls can be revived and they can be restored there's hope now jesus christ's promise of rest isn't just for a future kingdom it is for his present kingdom going on now 
And if there's one verse that, that if you receive the card of, of all we're doing, at the bottom is the theme verse for this whole thing. If there's one verse that we can think at and we can be challenging ourselves to memorize. It's this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus, who is our founder and perfecter of our faith. That is the only way for us to find eternal hope and eternal security and, and, and eternal peace. So who, where are you finding your hope? Where are you finding your peace? Where are you finding your answers? And I love what he says. He says at the end that, that scripture is sharper than any two-edged sword. When we intentionally read scripture, it's going to cut away what needs to be cut away for us to fully find Jesus. This, this double-edged sword can be compared to like a, a, a doctor's scalpel, right? The doctor goes in and he just cuts away all the things that need to be cut away to repair tendons or repair muscles or, or, or to remove cancer or anything like that. And that's what scripture does. Scripture is a way for us to, to cut away everything that needs to be cut away for us to persevere, for us to, to find Jesus, for us to press through. So finding Jesus, right? Albert Muller says scripture is like a scalpel weeded by God to perform spiritual surgery. In conjunction with the Holy Spirit, the word of God cuts through the sin and darkness of the human heart to restore spiritual health and vitality for Christ. It's in scripture that we can soften our hearts. It's in scripture that we can find Jesus. And so this morning, I just want to read two versions as we close of Psalms 23. I'm going to read two versions of this psalm. And the first one is the anti-Psalm 23 of the unbeliever. I want you to listen to the differences. This is by David Polson. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing is quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down dark paths. Still, I insist. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by the emptiness and fertility, shadows of the death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, and I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me, and I'm so much all about me. Sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, hopeless, free-falling into void? Sartre said, hell is other people. I have to add, hell is also myself. It is a living death, and then I die. Let's read the Psalms 23 of David. For those that know Christ, those that follow Jesus, those that know God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. 
Which psalm do you find yourself in? What psalm are you longing for? Are you longing for the one that is all about yourself and you would rather fulfill that, but yes, you feel hopeless and you're left feeling despaired and you're left feeling weary? Or do you want the Jesus who's offering to be your shepherd, who's offering to lead you beside still waters, who's offering to restore your soul, who's offering to to lead you down green pastures? That is the God that desires a relationship with you. That's the God that desires you. That's the God that the Hebrew writer is talking about when we can enter into his rest because it's in Christ. When we find our identity in Christ, that is when we find true rest. It's not in ourselves. It's not in anything this world can give but Christ himself. Do you want that? Are you longing for that? That is our hope. Our purpose is found in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. Lord, you are faithful. You are majestic. Lord, the rest that you offer us, Father, is found in the person of Jesus. May we cap onto that. May we see that. May we understand that. May we pursue that, Jesus. And may we never give up for those that claim to be believers. May we persevere till the end to receive the crown of life that you offer us, Jesus. So Lord, provide rest, provide hope. God, may we look to you, our author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.